Hello and welcome to the Overlap Live Fan Debate brought to you by Skybet. The sun's out, the fans are here, and it's only right that we welcome in Gary Neville, Roy Keane and Jamie Carroll. We're in Manchester. We've got to talk about United. I know this is a, a topic that's going to take a little bit of time. Ten Hag reportedly been interviewed for the United job. Roy, I'm going to start with you. How do you feel about it? Is he the right man for the job? Well, I don't know, but I think he's obviously... Would certainly be a good option. I think they've lined up as a four or five manager allegedly to be interviewed, and yeah, I certainly wouldn't be against that. I think he would be a decent option, of course, yeah. But nobody knows until somebody gets into the building and starts looking at the job that needs to be done. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's a huge disappointment with the season. Um, important month or two coming up, obviously, trying to get in the top four. Um, but, you know, United, it's been a tough season, but. I've no doubt they'll bounce back. It might take a little bit of time, but every big club has difficult periods and United are going through that at the moment. So the next choice, the next uh, decision, the next manager they get in, stating the obvious, is huge. Huge. Have to get it right. Gary, you, you agree with that? I mean, I know you're someone who's very up-to-date on what's going on in terms of the, the managerial selection at, at United. So. What do we know about him? Is he, is, is he any good? It's like you know, when you watch like a, a YouTube highlight reel of a player that you're going to sign and you're like, oh, he's unbelievable. You go around the pub, you tell your mates, oh, no, he's the best thing you've ever seen. Mm. Do, do we actually know anything about Ten Hag? Oh, we do know about him. He worked under Pep Guardiola, or sorry, in Bayern Munich when Pep Guardiola was there. We know the impact that that had. And I know he didn't work directly with him, but we know the impact that that's had on Mikel Arteta and his coaching philosophy. He's obviously won a couple of titles, a couple of cups in Holland. The style of play is good. Um, he's got more experience than I think most people think at the age of 52. It's a massive jump, but he's got a good coaching pedigree and um, he's not scarred. That's a good thing, I think, sometimes. He comes in fresh and not scarred. Uh, I did a poll the other day and I was absolutely stunned. 200,000? Yeah, 240,000 people voted and I was stunned that it was 82%. Look, there have been non-United fans voted, I'm sure, but most of them will have been United fans. 82% 82% in favour of bringing him in over Pochettino. That, that did shock me. I knew that he would be favourite because you can smell it on social media yeah. what United fans want. Um, but I think Manchester United fans are demanding a fresh start. They're demanding a fresh name. They want something that's completely different that they've not seen before. And that's probably gone against Pochettino in some ways. I, I think I've got a soft spot for Pochettino because of the fact that I've seen him work close hand. Spent a week at Tottenham uh, five or six years ago when he was there incredible in terms of the work that he was doing. The coaching was fantastic. Um, I actually think that, and I think you've said something like this in the past, Roy, that it, it's incredible. He goes to Paris, deemed a failure, mm. doesn't win the Champions League, didn't win the league last year, and all of a sudden he's not right for Manchester United. I actually think it makes him more right for Manchester United in the sense that he's now got the actual appreciation of working. Because the big thing for Pochettino, other than the fact that he hasn't won a trophy, uh, is that he hadn't worked with star players, he hadn't worked yeah. with big names. He's now got that experience under his belt. So I think he's more rounded. I think he's better prepared to come and deal with the big players that Manchester United have got. You know, you know Manchester United have got Paul Pogba, they've got uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know if Paul Pogba will be here next season, but if he is, yeah. massive, massive characters, big personalities. So he's more suited to come in and do what I think you know, he wants to do at a club like Manchester United with the scrutiny on him. So I think Pochettino is best placed still because of what he's done at Southampton and Tottenham. He knows the Premier League. There's no shock. Um, but you sometimes look at the sort of 
the weight of opinion towards Ten Hag, it's huge, absolutely huge. It's almost if Pochettino came in now, Manchester United would be like, yeah. and that's something the club can't consider really. They've got to be professional and do the job diligently in terms of their interviews and get it overdone quickly. You can't start an interview process and then finish it two, two months later. They have to finish this process quite quickly. But I think that Ten Hag, they do sway with the wind and the wind's blowing towards Ten Hag, so I think they'll go for him. Jamie, do you, I mean, you're, you're a Pochettino fan. Would you, say, would you agree with the fact that you think that Pochettino's stock has, has fallen over the last couple of years and that he wouldn't be right for United, or do you think something different? No, I think it's a bit unfair, because I don't think many managers have gone to PSG. You think of, obviously, Ancelotti, uh, Tuchel of late, and the big thing to go there is go and win the Champions League. No-one's done it. Everyone's had problems in some way, shape or form. I must say, though, I'm a massive fan of Pochettino, but I don't think he has done a particularly good job. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's not an easy job at PSG, but never won the league last year. So you, you look at sort of Thomas Tuchel, he did everything and got to a Champions League final. So I don't think it's gone particularly well for Pochettino. I think with, with Ten Hag and what Roy said in terms of the, the next one has to be right for Man United. The problem United have got is that no matter who you get, they're not Klopp or Guardiola. Yeah. And I go back to when I, uh, Liverpool, we had some brilliant managers doing really good things, but they weren't Alex Ferguson. Now, <laughs> the, the manager is for me always the most important sort of figure at a, at a club. But when you've got the best, no matter who the opposition are, it's always difficult for them to then go and get someone. So whether it's Pochettino or Ten Hag, they're not as good as Klopp or Guardiola. Great managers, top managers, but you know I still don't think they're, they're at the level of those two. And right right now, Man City and Liverpool have the best, and it's very difficult to. Would they set up Jamie if Simone came in? Yeah, I, th I think they would. I think he's got that stature. Yeah. Gary talks about being uh, obviously coming up against him. He's got he's got that presence, hasn't he? I was talking about someone last night actually. <laughs> Uh, yesterday about Simeone for, for Liverpool, you were talking about when Klopp leaves in maybe a, a couple of years. I'd love to see Simeone in the Premier League yeah. to see how he played. Is it because he's, he's against Madrid and Barcelona, he's always the underdog? If he did go to Manchester United and he's got as much money as anyone, would he play slightly differently? I'm not so sure, to be honest. I think he's, he's got his way of playing. I'm not so sure that the biggest teams in this country would want their teams to play how they play, if I'm being honest. But he has got that presence on the on the side of the pitch. But I do, I do think it's difficult for, for any Manchester United manager, whoever they get, right now, the, the best star there. And when, when you mention Ten Hag, he, he's been assistant to Pep Guardiola. He's been assistant to Steve McLaren as well. We got United fans in the building. And, Hear it directly from the horse's mouth. Like, who do you want to see in that managerial seat at United? Is, are you happy with both of the Just choices? Just for the record, Steve McLaren would have trebled, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he only come in two half the season. Brian Kidd got the other half of that. <laughs> come in his first games at Notts Forest when he won 7 1, jumped on the back of a big good bandwagon. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm like Gary in the sense that I am a big fan of Pochettino and I have been a fan of his for, for a while. Um, and the PSG thing hasn't quite turned me off him because I think what he did at Spurs would kind of have to be the job he kind of has to do at United in yeah. that, yes, we've got more resources, we'll spend a little bit more money, but he will have to deal with people above him making decisions that probably go against what is best for the team or whatever and try and get the best out of young players, academy players. We've seen what he done at Ajax. He's not only built one team, he built two. And I think that's what kind of makes me think, oh, there's something there because even when he's sold his best players, he has gone again. Um, so, I, I like Poch, I like Ten Hag. 
I do think Ten Hag's got the momentum because of his recent work with Ajax. Um, and that could probably give him the edge, but I just, there's this thing that makes me think United might still go for Poch because of the fact that they're one of these people, they, they seem like this group of people that when they've got an idea that they had like two years ago, they're not gonna go away from that. Like they're gonna try and stick to that even if there's other things out there. So I do kind of still feel like it may be Poch. What, I'd what, be all for Ten Hag. What, what went wrong in the Tottenham interview with Ten Hag? What, I mean, the, the rumours he didn't interview well, but what? He said sort of, something like a lack of charisma. That's just only something I read in, in, in the paper. Uh, but when Jose's there, you talk about he, he is a charismatic man, isn't he, Jose? Mourinho comes in the interview. Yeah. Yeah. But when I hear managers get an interview, people said, oh, he came across well in an interview. I think, I, think, I think everyone comes across well in an interview. You have to be a right idiot to come across bad in an interview <laughs> because you're, you're obviously going to be polite, you're going to do your homework. I think the interview process is well and good, but it's, again, I think it, it's a something Everyone will have their opinions there. Pochettino stock, like any manager, can go up or down. It went down again a few weeks over the Champions League performance in Madrid, obviously, where they, they, they fell apart. But I still think you don't know anybody until they get into the, until they get into the building. It really, we, we can all throw opinions out here about four or five managers. I certainly wouldn't be against any ones that have been mentioned here. But you won't know until they get into the... the, the and see the task in front of them, whether it be the players or the structure that's, up, that's upstairs getting to really know the players, the personalities, the culture of the club, whatever values United stand for, no, I don't know, but they've certainly gone backwards. But having said all of that, I still think anyone who walks into Man United in the summer, and Man United could potentially finish sixth in the league, what a time to go in. There's four or five players' contracts were up. People think that's a bad thing. I think that might be a good thing to let players move on. You're not stuck with these lads who are, who've maybe already left the building mentally. You can start afresh, work with some good young players. They'll certainly be given money to spend. Mm -hmm. And again, there's the obsession with style of football. I don't ever remember my time at the club. We ever spoke about styles of football. We spoke about winning. And I generally think if you're winning week in, week out, I know Simone, I know, I know people want to, there has to be a certain style of football, don't get me wrong. But as long as you're winning, that's, that's where you get people in momentum and you get people back on side. United have got, um, and it sort of crept up on us a little bit, they've got an ageing squad. Yeah. 13 players, I think, at the end of next season are going to be 30 or above out of the current crop. I think it's one of the high, I think it's sixth or seventh highest age, average age in the league. So all of a sudden, you're thinking not just about a new manager coming in, you're thinking about probably a big overhaul in respect to the squad in terms of the team. And that, that, that surprised me in, in the last couple of weeks when you really look at it. And you've still got this thing about Pep and, Pep and Klopp, uh, Guardiola and Klopp and, and competing with them. But you've also got to compete off the pitch in terms of the decisions that are made in, in the recruitment side and the precision of City and Liverpool in the recruitment. It's unbelievable. The precision is unbelievable. They don't miss a beat. They haven't made a bad decision in the in transfer market for four or five seasons. Now, that's a contribution of the right decisions off the pitch, but it's also the, con it's also the contribution of the coaches to be able to get the best out of the players. Because sometimes a, a player who you say, oh, he wasn't a good player for us. He doesn't just, you know, he can be a good player Especially if he's got the right coach. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's about the Ten Hag comes in. You know, there is an element of he won't know what's hit him. Because this club is a massive club. Can I, can I ask, sorry, do you think Man United are a bit fixated on the manager position because of Ferguson? Because he was everything to that football club and there's this belief that somehow another man's going to come in, one person, and he's going to be that like godlike figure at the football club again. Don't get me wrong, Liverpool have got that. You know, they, they need the messianic figure, someone who can be held up as the sort of leader. 
but I think you're alluding to it. Do United have to get the rest of the house in order before that matters? I, I, I'm really worried. I am at this moment in time. Look, I, I'd never gone for the Glazer family um, whilst I was at the club. Uh, saw no reason to. We were successful. Um, whilst they were paying you. <laughs> 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 and I'll just add to that. I'll just add that to that point. That I also didn't go for them for the ten years after where they weren't paying me. Um, the Super League was a moment for me whereby, to be fair, all those six owners demonstrated uh, complete and utter greed and disdain for the English football and were willing to ruin it on behalf of their own interests. So for me, all of them, as far as I'm concerned, um, can do one. Uh, but in terms of the Glazer family, you know, post that at Super League, they said they were going to communicate with the club. They said they were going to change things. They've not changed. An, they've not changed anything at this football club. So my view on the, my view is that there is a problem right at the very top. There is a right at the very top, there is a massive problem. And I think they've had 10 years to prove that they can be good football operators at Manchester United beyond Alex Ferguson and David Gill. They've proven they can't do it. They've proven they can't build a successful football club here in Manchester without being propped up by the team that Sir Alex Ferguson had and, and himself being there. So to me at this moment in time, the first thing that should happen is they should sell the club. I think they should sell the club, they should cash in. Um, because of the Super League, because of their 10 years of failure without Sir Alex Ferguson and the team that, and the squad that he had, I think they should go. But if they really want to stay, because you can never force the Glazer family to sell, then they've got to do four or five things. They've got to stop taking the dividends out of the club, number one, if they want to reset the culture. Because when the owners are pulling money out of the club at the expense of the fans, at the expense of the project, at the expense of a, t a successful team, it's a bad message from, from the very top. It, the cultural... Uh, aspect of that is terrible. Number two, they've got to pay off that debt, and they can do that by selling £500 million worth of the shares to the fans, not take it out of the club and pay off that debt. They can then rebuild that stadium with a billion quid, right? And it does need probably knocking down, to be fair. I know there was Andy Mitten spoke this week, I respect enormously, who said he thought it needed re renovated. That doesn't need renovation. That needs a new stadium. And that money can be funded from a 20-year contract by getting a sponsor in at 60, 70 million quid a year Call it something Old Trafford, but we have a brand new stadium. Yeah. And again, it resets the culture of Manchester United having the best stadium in the world. That needs to happen. They then need to build a new training ground. Me and Roy were part of the squad when we moved 22 years ago out of the cliff, and we were devastated to leave the cliff. But we now got a training ground that's behind Tottenham and the other training grounds. And they then need to go and put 100, 150 million pounds a year in a proper sporting project, along with those four things. And then you can say the Glazer family have reset the culture from the top of giving, of obviously doing something that means something. They've got to do something that resets the culture and the principles of the football club. They've not done that for 10 years. They need to do it now because the fans are on the edge again. The fans are on the edge again. I wanted to, I wanted to ask Gary and Roy about um, the captain's situation, I, I agree with what Gary was saying there about the Glazers. Um, they, people talk about them being good businessmen, but businessmen don't run the club into the ground like this good businessman anyway. So, yeah, I, I would love to see them go and kind of seeing how many offers there were for Chelsea kind of gives me hope because a lot of people used to say, oh, who's going to buy a club for three, four billion? But when you see how many are lining up for Chelsea, it could possibly be the same for us. But about leadership, not only above the players, but the players, you were both captains, great captains for Manchester United, but you also spent periods where you weren't captain of the club. How did your life on and off the pitch change when you became captain? And look, I'm not Maguire's biggest fan um, of him as a player or as a captain. I don't necessarily think he should be captain, but could the captaincy be actually affecting his performances? Because I don't think he's this bad as a player either, like that we're seeing at the moment. And 
what changes have, could have happened there? I, I, I want to answer that first because, to be fair, when Roy left, we had a massive problem in the change room. And to be fair, I had a massive problem because there's no way I was ever going to replace Roy Keane in that dressing room. You know, everybody in that changing room for 10 years had looked up to Roy, knew who the captain was, knew who the leader was. All of a sudden, he left in an instant, you know, basically just one day gone. And all of a sudden, like, I've got the armband on. And for six months, to be honest with you, there was self-doubt, thinking, how can I even think to replace Roy Keane? And I looked at the previous captains that had been at the club. And I suppose in some ways, probably like Steve Bruce taking over from Brian Robson. Bruce, he was a brilliant leader, but he wasn't Brian Robson. But he was just a good, good man, Steve Bruce, in the dressing room. He was popular. And I just thought, Do you know something, after about three or four months, I just had to settle down and say, look, I am what I am. I play how I am. And I'm not the level of ability of the rest of the lads in the team, but that's all I can do. And I settled into it, not try to be something I'm not. I thought last year Maguire was growing and emerging as a captain of the team. There is no doubt the introduction of Cristiano into the club has meant that he feels inferior. And I can see that because I felt inferior when I first took over the captaincy when Roy left. I felt inferior. You just, you just do. Naturally, you know. Harry Maguire will think, that's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's the greatest player of all time. He's captain of, 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 uh, he's captain of his country. He wins European tournaments. And I know he's looking at me like giving it that one on the pitch. <laughs> and, and it undermines him. And, and Harry hasn't got the experience yet in a difficult time to be able to say, you know, sit down you you know I was okay in the sense that we were still in a successful team and actually the players around the club we, we had a settled dressing room still but it was difficult for me when I first took over because of that inferiority complex thing and, and there's no doubt Harry Maguire's confidence will be knocked and he will feel inferior I've got no doubt to the other players in the team yeah no I, I feel for Harry Maguire when he obviously when I got the captaincy at United I'd been there a number of years was used to the club and I use that word again, the culture of the club and what other captains did, tried to learn from it. Same at obviously uh, Nottingham Forest with Stuart Pearce and people like that. And you have your own style and again, we were a winning team, so that makes everything a lot easier. I think for Harry, when he just came to the club, to be given the captaincy, to me, I was more worried about the other players, that none of them could seem to be able to take the responsibility. And Harry's come into a team that's struggling. I think it'd be difficult not to take it off him, to say, listen, we're taking the captaincy off you to help you focus on your own game. I don't think that's ideal. I think he'll just have to try and grow with it, improve it. Right? Do you, do you think that's good I, for the dressing room? I think it goes back to it. I think the one question I'd always say, people talk about captaincy leadership, try and make sure you're playing well yourself. First of all, whatever about the different demands, about mm. tickets and media commitments, and you're the captain, you've got to go up and do the toss -up. Make sure you're playing well, and the rest will come from there. But while Harry is struggling for his own form, people will still come back to it and start throwing the captaincy at him. Just focus on playing well, and don't... You can, you can get carried away with the captaincy. People can make it a bigger issue than what it is. First and foremost, try and be a good teammate, try and be a good player, try and train properly and do all the, the basics, right? And, and the rest will fall into place. But United are having a difficult spell. Harry's an e easy target. I thought he, his performances last year weren't bad, but he's had some terrible games. And United are in a difficult spell, so they're going to look at certain targets. There's always players who, are, who will be targets for teams that are struggling. And Harry's an easy target because he's the captain and some of performances have been great um, but it's hard to go back now and say to Harry Maguire you might be better off giving the captaincy up I think there's a long way back from I, I don't think that's a good option confidence wise oh, you confidence wise uh, if he takes the captaincy off him but I, I think oh. go back to well, basic start in the dressing with, room though where people are like um, I don't want to use I was about to use the wrong word like Colin Freud I don't think that's the word but like where he doesn't deserve that so it's like 
it becomes it, more of a problem. Yeah, but the, ma- it remember a the, the manager gave it to him. What did he deserve? So the manager's not here no more that gave yeah, it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, but that's managers come and go, and if you if you give them the captaincy, well, well, when you get the captaincy, you don't apply for it. The yeah. manager pulled you in. He must have seen something. Whether it be Ali and his staff or where seen something in him at all, we, we believe you can be a good leader. And he probably can be a good leader, and he probably will be. But he has to go back to being a good player first, and it comes from that. Mm. This idea that you can set order. Again, I, I used to remind myself, as if you didn't have bad games yourself, but when it's not going your way or you're not up, go back to basics. Make sure I'm on top of my own game before I start trying to lead people or start giving out to people. Because, again, players do look at you and go, don't you be having to go on me when you're struggling yourself? That's that's human nature. But I don't. I, I'm convinced the players in the dressing room aren't looking at Harry Maguire thinking you don't deserve it or you're. We don't respect. I think they do. But when a player's having a hard time, it's 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 tough going. Do you think they all got, do? Do you think they all do, Roy? All what, respect him. Do you think and, they all want him to be captain. I think there's clicks in that dressing room now. I think well, there, well, there might there might be this morning time because obviously Man United seems there's there's obviously a lot of problems going on. But the, cap- the captaincy, I don't think that's number one problem at Man United. Which, yeah, which, which players do you think responsibility at times, which I think doesn't, wouldn't help. I think that's one of the things, especially from a fan's perspective, is when your captain comes out, you usually expect him to take responsibility. Yeah. And whenever he comes out, it's but almost always, but you oh, can well, still lead. someone you, else. And it was like... Yeah, you don't need the armband to be a leader. Other yeah, players true. can still take a leading role. Again, people, Gary sits there and people praise me about my captain. I had the easiest job in the world. There was a load of leaders in the United dressing room, all good senior players. Eh? I wasn't putting demands on them. They were, they were leading themselves, they were managing themselves. But while Man United are struggling and the captaincy becomes a big issue, there's, there's bigger problems at Man United than Harry Maguire's captaincy. Was it 80 million pounds on Harry Maguire there or thereabouts? If you take the captaincy away from him as well, and he's obviously self-confidence is, seems like it's somewhat shattered or, or under threat. What does it actually do to a massive asset that you've invested huge amounts of money? But it, reflect, it, reflect, it reflects on the group badly that he was given the captaincy, having just arrived at the club. Surely there's someone already in the club where you're going. They've been here five, six years. They've played 200 games for mine. There must have been players. Who is that? Actually, obviously they didn't have great belief in the hair to be the captain. I, that, that's the biggest worry that the lads were already there. Not that Harry got it having just walked through the door for a big fee and he's thinking, uh, when you go to a big club, you, you do need time to settle in. You, you need to learn the ropes about what, what it's like playing for a big club. And to be fair to Harry, he was, in a sense, he was thrown under the bus from that point of view, that he was always given this captaincy. And whatever you say about the captaincy at Man United, there is, there is jobs in the background that a player has to do. And when you're just new to a club, I bet he's thinking, I'm trying to settle in myself and all of a sudden I've got, I've got to do these weird issues at Man United. I, I, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Used to always be like ticket issues. Remember, Nev? Like, I'm, I'm guessing that's all been taken care of. No, but I'd be sorting tickets out at 25 past two. The game's at three o'clock. <laughs> I'd be in the tunnel booking tickets for lads and coming in, going, Lads, you've been injured or left out, going, Can you get me two tickets? And these are all demands. You're like, and 
Oh, I've got a game in a half an hour, by the way. <laughs> I'm in the car, don't ring him a ticket. Oh, that's he got 30 on from Cork. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, I think Harry Maguire, forget, the, forget the captaincy, I think Harry Maguire is fighting for his Manchester United career. Yeah. No. He, he is, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I do think there's a big problem with, his, with the respect in the dressing room. I think there's, there's clicks. Gary Noel probably knows that better than me. But I, I think the stage Harry Maguire is at, and I've always been a, a fan of Harry Maguire in terms of his, how his career has gone. He's sort of always making that next step. I thought it was right that he was captain in Manchester United last season. It was almost like he was leading this, not so much young team, but emerging team. Each year getting slightly better, getting closer to a trophy. And I think Ronaldo coming in has definitely changed the dynamic within that. But that's, that's, not, that's not having a go at Ronaldo. Harry Maguire's got to deal with that if you're Manchester United manager, uh, captain. But right now, the way Harry Maguire's actually playing, he's actually fighting for his future as a player. And he's... He, <laughs> I just, we've spoke about this, haven't we, where if, if you were in his position where, you know, you're captain of Manchester United, probably not the Manchester United team of winning European Cups and Leagues, but trying to get there, and then someone like Ronaldo comes in and the dynamic changes, how do you go about it? And he, he can't afford to lose this fight because he's going to have to move, leave, leave the club and he's, he's not going anywhere better than Manchester United on the level of Manchester United. So right now, I think he's fighting for how he's actually seen. Because before this season, it's almost felt to me that Harry Maguire was a lad who, who most people in the country, you know, you liked, he seemed a decent lad, he was a good player, he'd done well for England, it seemed like everyone seemed to like him. And in the last 12 months, it's just completely gone. Where he's almost like a, a joke and people laugh at him. And, and I've been in that position sometimes where I've watched him in games where you're having a bad time and you're doing all right in the game, and just one thing happens, it ends up in the back of your net. And sometimes when things are going well for you, you still make the same mistake, but it doesn't go in. Yeah. And he is definitely going through that sort of spell where every little thing he does is ending up in the back of his net. But if he doesn't, he doesn't get through it and sort of finish this season well, forget the captaincy. It's his Manchester United career he's fighting for. But I would say, if I, if I met Harry McGraw, I'm sure he'd love to meet me for a cup of tea. <laughs> you would say to like, honestly, go back to basics. And when you're at a big club like Man United, there's a, the, Ronaldo's obviously you. There's always big players at the club. We, we, when, I, when I was captain, you were captain. There was Wayne Rooney and Beckham and these boys, big players and better players than you. You know that. That's not the issue. But you're trying to set an example by how you train and how you play. Not necessarily being the best player, but giving your all. So I would say to Harry Maguire, don't worry about the captaincy. It's just just an armband on your arm. Just focus on trying to go back to the basics. When again, a couple of years ago, you're looking going. He's playing regularly for England and doing well, and still is. The demands at Man United, focus on playing well. Go back to basics. And I, I would say to myself as well, keep it simple, stupid. I see him doing things on the pitch there where he's, he's trying to beat people on the edge of the box. You're going, listen, hold on a second. This is common sense. Yeah. Just clear your lines. We saw him doing it against Atletico. He's trying to do, beat somebody inside the box. He rolls it back to the keeper two yards away from... Like, cut that crap out, you know? And, and, and don't worry about the leadership or Ronaldo because there'll always be big personalities in your dressing room. And people talk about clicks and all this. I, I, I've been in dressing rooms. There is sometimes clicks in dressing rooms. Certain lads pal around together. You very rarely have a conversation with them. But when the, when the training starts or the matches start, all that goes out the window. There was lads I played with Man United with Gary and, and, and they were pals, the lads coming. Tra- Honestly, do you know what you say? I, I barely, even international level, you barely had a conversation with lads because it's just the dynamics of the dressing room or where you play or whatever it might be. But come the, come the start of training or come the start of a match day, all that stuff goes out the window. You're a team, you're together, you're not best pals. But once you have the same aims, as that is to win football matches. And if Ronaldo and these other boys are probably trying to run the show or trying to take over your leadership skills, you can also put markers on in training with people. <laughs> no, you, no, you can, no, you can just, 
you, you, you try. <laughs> no, you, you, you put your marker on it. You're a senior yeah. player, and hey, listen, follow me. I think Jamie's one's right. You have to, he has to win this fight. That he has to establish his authority in that dressing yeah. room. That's for sure. There's a lot of big stories surrounding United. One of the biggest stories in football, obviously, is Chelsea. On the pitch, things are going great. So I want to come to the fans because off the pitch, it's it's not ideal. In terms of the bids, in terms of what's mm. happening uh, off the pitch, are you happy with the potential owners, the new potential owners? What's going on? Do you know anything from inside the club? Talk to me. You're never going to get another owner like Rona Abramovich who pours loads of money into the club and doesn't even want to be repaid. But you just hope, unlike with United at the minute, where, where you said they're taking the dividends out and everything, that they sort of have a, like, you know, just happy medium, like a nice balance, where they keep the fans happy, but they're also not running the club into debt. So it's sort of like, you know, just having a nice balance between the two so that the fans are happy, the owners are happy, and you can sort of keep yourself afloat and be competitive every season. I, th I think Chelsea's, firstly, for the players and the manager, I mean, they've done unbelievably well in the last few weeks to carry on as they've done winning all the games. I and mean, that's the first thing to say. Yeah. The disruption and distraction that's gone on at that club. So it tells you when you've got a really strong manager and you've got a strong change in which Chelsea have, you can withstand all the stuff that's going on externally and outside, opposite to what we were talking about before with United. In terms of Chelsea, it isn't just about Chelsea this actually, I think, anymore. Um, it's a wider point now around football ownership in this country. You know, we, we didn't react the same to Derby, we didn't react the same to Bury. We didn't react the same to Saudi money coming in, even though they made it tougher for them to come in. But I think we've now got a huge issue emerging of basically the idea that football clubs are being bought by wealth from rogue states, um, businessmen in America who see huge opportunity to obviously exploit the clubs. And we've benefited enormously from that for the last 20 years. Roman Abramovich has brought a competitive Chelsea, which has added to the Premier League like you wouldn't believe. But at what cost? At what cost? You know, we now know his association with Putin. We now know his association... Oh, do we not know his association with Putin before? Well, we did, probably, but we've, we've sleptwalk, haven't we? We've, we've almost ignored it and sleptwalk, and to be fair, none of us in this room probably have been shouting about it for the last 15, 20 years. We've accepted it because we've benefited from it. We've all benefited from it. We've watched great football. We've got, you know, we've got a competitive league, a league that's admired around the world, but there is no doubt our league is being abused in terms... and used... Um, and there's a big moment coming off the back of what's happened with Roman Abramovich. I think it's going to be a lot harder to get into English football in the future. I think fans are going to have a higher hurdle to get over in terms of what they expect from their owners. Manchester United fans for 18 years, completely different situation. But a club that's been bought with other people's money, it's been leveraged against. Liverpool at this moment in time, the fans are quiet purely because of the fact they've got a brilliant manager and they've got a brilliant team. But that'll change the minute that Klopp goes and they start going down and the money that they're spending gets them to where they probably should be, which is fourth or fifth. If, you know, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's true. If, if you look at it ordinarily over yeah. time, what Klopp's doing at Liverpool is absolutely exceptional. He's punching so high above his weight, it's untrue with that club. He's a genius of a manager, he absolutely is. And once he leaves, which that could be five years, could yeah. be ten years, but and the, and the club is still spending the same level of money, there will be a correction. And Liverpool fans won't be happy with their owners because they'll want that money to be at the levels of Manchester United, City, Chelsea with the billion, billion double billionaires owners. So I do think that all the owners um, are going to be asked different questions. The City owners, people are going to ask questions about it. I know the idea that City's fans, City's owners are sort of owned by different companies. There's Chinese money in City Football Group, I believe. There's American money. But the reality of it is it is connected to Abu Dhabi. Um, that City became the Deloitte's richest club in the world this week. That can't happen without what would be um, an extortionate um, exaggeration of their sponsorship contracts. 
City fans know that. Manchester City cannot earn more oh, money in sponsorship on. contracts and be more valuable than Liverpool and Manchester United and Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's impossible for it's you. A... <laughs> as, as good as you are, it is impossible. I, so, I don't know the answer. You probably don't know the answer. You do. You just don't like it. No, no, sorry. You just don't like it. One thing I won't pretend to be, like everyone else tends to do in the sport space, is a financial expert. I am not. I'm a football fan. And I think people forget that kind of stuff fundamentally. And one thing that bugs me about modern football is this idea that we all have to be, as football fans, clear up in finance. We have to be accountants. We have to be geopolitical experts. And it, it, this should start at the very top of the country. This should start at the you politicians that you're at all times. Makes it owners, though. No, no I'm not going to sit here and defend that, but I must admit, no one was saying that when they took over in the first place ten years ago. And that's not a right thing. The point is, it only becomes an issue when it becomes the team becomes successful. And absolutely, I wish we were all experts in these kind of things. I wish I was, but I'm trying to deal with my own personal life as well. That doesn't make me a bad person. How's that going? Uh, <laughs> you know it's pretty good, mate. I, I've, had a, I've done all right. I've got a beautiful wife, you know. <laughs> I'm all right. So, but in general, like, I think the conversation is often misdirected onto the wrong people. Absolutely. Absolutely, should be more focused, but this should come from the Premier League. It shouldn't come from the fans. No, it should come from the Premier that, League, that, and it should come from the government. To say, though, that the Newcastle takeover has been the first one, really, that I can remember where people were against it right from the start. Chelsea, yeah, like you said before, yeah. I think they've seen, go, they've yeah, seen what happens. Just, they've seen the domination of teams that have come in. No, with... no, but where the money come from, Josh? With in terms of Roman Abramovich, it was it was 2003, four, whatever, when he came in. It was this fellow with loads yeah. of money. He's going to transform Chelsea. Man City had the fella from Thailand who was spending everyone else's money and then realised he had to change yeah. his soul. You know, and, but when Newcastle came, like Mishiri with us, it was just a fella, he was at Arsenal, and then obviously Usmanov's in the background, and then we've got Newcastle with all the There's not enough spaces in the top four anymore, so that's, people that's are going, it. oh Christ, we don't want another we'll one of these. Yeah, yeah, that's why people, well, Newcastle people was care, the first because one, it's going to damage I, them. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember yeah. where yeah. people... Imagine you think... rightly yeah. show, but... Is that for fans to worry about? Is that for the government to sort out? Yeah, absolutely. So the fans know when it does come to you, well, obviously, they've been looked at. Whatever about this fit and proper test that used to go on years ago was obviously a waste of time. Yeah. Because people were buying clubs and whatever they were getting the money from or they couldn't back it up. So for the man in the street, most supporters are going, I want that sorted out above before somebody comes into the club and then we can enjoy it instead of the politics yeah. reaching all the fans, as you said, who just want to go and enjoy the football. F football's governance is a disgrace. My mum witnessed Berry be transferred over to the guy who basically busted it in the end in 10 minutes. It was a transfer over of basically an agreement sent to the league and it was done. That's it, done. And then the checks come after. Now, it's obviously a lot harder in the Premier League, but my point I think I was making was off what's happened at Chelsea, there are going to be a lot more questions asked in the future. There's going to be higher hurdles that are going to have to be met. And these issues that you're talking about in terms of social, geopolitical, sort of massive issues that exist in society, football is not going to be able to ignore it anymore because it's on its doorstep because agree, it's, because it's bled into the game. And Tuchel is, most of Tuchel's press conferences in the last four weeks, probably in the next five weeks, are going to be about things not to do with football. City are going to get asked more questions. Eddie Howe's going to get pushed like you wouldn't believe. The, the Everton owners are going to get pushed like you wouldn't believe. It's going to happen now because people have recognised there is a real and clear present danger and association with where the money comes from, what are the intentions of the owners who are buying in, what are they doing with it, and that is something that ultimately, you're right, the FA, the Premier League, going to have to act quickly, and that comes through if, independent regulation. Well, if the Saudis wanted to buy, to buy United off the Glazers, would you be happy? But that's the thing I've always said about... That's been always my argument about the Glazer family leaving Old Trafford. And I even say it now when I say sell. That money ordinarily will come for the four or five billion they want for it from China, from Middle East, from Russia, or from American leverage buyouts. They, they are the, they are the, if you like, 
buying parties in the market. Which one of those, as a Manchester United fan, do you think, right, I'll tell you what, we want another American leverage buyout like Chelsea going to get, because that money will all be, it'll be lent from banks and institutions somewhere, don't worry, there'll be a coupon on it somewhere and interest. You know, do you want a Russian coming into Old Trafford to, that's got 20 billion? No. Do you want Chinese money coming into Old Trafford you know, at this moment in time? Do you want Middle Eastern money coming into Old Trafford where they've got massive human uh, rights issues, massive workers' rights issues? So where's that buyer going to come from? It isn't going to be a guy from basically you know, Old Trafford over there or Wally Range or Hume. He ain't got four or five billion. They don't exist. He's not going to be a local United fan. That's just not happening. So we've got to be careful when we say, you know, where are the buyers for these huge assets? And what worries me about the Chelsea one, he would have made a billion quid out of Chelsea. Everyone thought he was amazing. Everyone thought it was basically him just chucking money as a trophy, as a little pet. He would have made, if he was allowed to take the money out, a billion quid profit. Yeah. Now, if the Americans are buying into Chelsea at two and a half billion, they're not daft. They think there's massive growth in that two and a half billion quid. And where's that growth coming from? That growth somewhere's got to be at the expense of the fans. But Gary, surely they're going to buy it to make money. Is that... But that's my point. My worry is, Roy, is asking the question. If they think it's worth... If Americans think it's worth 2.5 billion, they must be thinking Chelsea's going to go for three, three and a half, four in a few years' time. Where's that growth coming from? I can't see it at the moment. as Because actually, you look at the broadcast... Uh, revenues in the last three years, they've plateaued. They've plateaued. They're not going up. So where's the growth? They think they're going to get a Super League away. They think that there's a technology company going to come in and put massive money in. And that's where my mind's at, thinking... Is it frustrating for the fans, the Chelsea fans, as if Chelsea never existed before Abramovich came in and all these so-called dodgy owners. That's a bit biased. These guys didn't support no, them. No, 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 these clubs never existed before. Everton have changed hands over the last he few years. He didn't, did they? They didn't what? Oh, I just. They did. <laughs> Everton, are these not the clubs? You, you know what he did. Me and you stood on the street and said, I'm Do you agree with the sanctions? You know, obviously, the, the Chelsea fans obviously can't go to away games, limit on travel. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, listen. I don't understand that at all. Closing the club shop, uh, the fans, or not letting fans in. I, I don't understand what the what, what you gain from that. To be honest, or is that because they think Chelsea make a little bit of money? I mean, I mean, it's absolutely nothing as compared to the funds that we're talking about. What Abramovich is going to sell for? What he's putting himself? I don't really get get that uh, at all. You might know a bit more about me, like the government sanctions or whatever it, it is. But no, I, I just think that's a bit of a nonsense, and it's been changed anyway, hasn't it now? What the government did, they just put a massive wall in front of it and said, block everything, let's stop them. Yeah. And then what they're doing is now is obviously rowing back from that and allowing the club to operate to get to the end of the season or until the buyer's found. So I think it's just a case of they just went, right, stop. Let's stop him taking money out, which they've done. Fair enough. And I think then they're going to obviously... I don't, I don't get the ticket bit. I don't get why the fans can't buy tickets because yeah. that money could still be held in an account somewhere. But they obviously just haven't got... You know, they've just gone bang and then they're waiting for a buyer to come in. So Right, let's keep it in London. I see you, uh, you're feeling a little bit more smug oh, than no, you were I'm just, in the last I'm sitting show. comfortably this time, just listening to everyone's problems, because um, <laughs> we're just... We're, I haven't we're, even started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're slowly cruising at the moment, which I didn't think we would be at this time of the year, because the way we started the season was atrocious. We spoke about it so many times. He wasn't even in certain conversations. He was not in a top-four conversation at all. So to be battling it out now, it's... Um, I know people will say, well, you treated that like a trophy a few years ago. It actually feels good. It's crazy it sounds yeah. to be back in that conversation because it's a, a step forward, a massive step forward from finishing eighth two years in a row. But the job's not done yet. We've still got quite a few games left. Do, we, do you guys feel like the Arteta project is, is working, it's solid? 
Yeah, I, 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 I've always had something about Arteta. I think when he first came in, I think to win the FA Cup very early in, in his reign and, and not having a favourable draw, he beat, some, sort of beat Man City in the semi-final, beat Chelsea in the final, who, who, both teams were better than Arsenal. So I, I thought it was a really big achievement in his first few months. Last season didn't go well, but the thing I admire with Arteta and with any manager really, is seeing a manager be brave in his decisions. And I think even last season when he left Obama Yang out before a North London derby because he was late for a team meeting. Now, when you're struggling for results and your best player turns up a bit late, you're a bit like, oh, you're hoping no one knows he's late and you can just put him in the team. You know? Yeah. But that was a very brave move. And I always look back at that and they won that game. And I think the signings they made this season and how young they were, and they were signings that no other top club would have made because people didn't think they were possibly good enough and they had to prove themselves. And thinking of the goalkeeper, Ben White, I think making Odegaard, uh, you know, the loan to the, you know, the full transfer. And I really like it. And when I watch Arsenal, I feel like I can see Mikel Arteta's imprint on the team. When I watch Manchester United, I don't really feel like I'm watching a Ranjic team. I don't really feel right now with Conte, you're seeing a Conte team. I think United and Spurs right now are probably still in the race for the top four because they've got better individuals or maybe yeah. bigger names or stars. Or you think what Ronaldo did against Tottenham or what Harry Kane or Son could do for Tottenham. I don't think probably Arsenal have got that sort of superstar player. It's a real team. And another thing about Arsenal, and I go back to Tottenham and Liverpool under Pochettino and Klopp when he first came in. Sometimes when you're not winning things, other, other teams will have a go at you and say, oh, why are you enjoying this? You haven't won nothing, you haven't done nothing. But you know, sometimes there's probably something for Man United. Sometimes as a fan, it's just nice to like your team. You might not be winning, but you like the players. Yeah. You know, you can get behind us. So when Klopp first comes in, Liverpool weren't winning. Yeah. But, there was an energy about it. You, 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 you liked what you were, you liked your manager, you liked your team. When you look at other clubs now, they don't like the manager, they don't like the team, there's nothing about it. And right now, Arsenal supporters, yeah, you're not winning nothing, and you're in this position of the Wenger and people were criticising you, but I'm sure watching those young players, there's something about it where you can get behind it as a supporter. This feels yeah, like the most likeable team that yeah, we've Yeah, honestly, there's so much togetherness as well. Like, even if you look last week, people would have thought there was, like, rife between the goalkeepers because Ramsdale's just come in and he's literally taken Leno's spot, but Leno stepped in, had that massive save, and Ramsdale's right there celebrating with him straight away on the pitch. He's even travelled. He didn't need to travel to that game. There's togetherness. The fans are louder. You can hear it at away games. You can hear it at home games. We've always been told that Emirates is like the library, but you don't hear that these days. There's so much togetherness. Well, it's a few weeks. Next month or two is going to be it's going to be so important. Because the reflection at the end of the season, as much as they're getting a lot of praise now, and maybe the criticism early in the season probably didn't deserve that, but if they finish fifth or sixth, it'd still probably be a disappointment for Arsenal. Yeah. I feel like the reality, This is a big test for the team over the next two months. For all the plaudits of the last few months, this is crunch time for teams. Yeah. The next, like for Everton, these teams are going, can they stay up? Can they finish top four? Mm. Same for Man United. And come the end of the season, that's where you really judge them. Now, if Arsenal finish sixth, I don't think Arsenal fans would be going, no. you know, it's a great project, we're behind it and all this. There'd be an element of another disappointment. Yeah. So the next, obviously, the next month or two, I, huge. I, I, I do think, though, I agree with Roy on that, in that I do feel like the next sort of, say, 10 games in the season are absolutely massive for Arteta and Arsenal. And I've said how well they've done. The reason you're probably in this position, you know, Europe. Now, even if you don't make the Champions League next year, you, if you didn't, you'd be in Europa League. Mm. And that'd be a big problem for you in terms of getting back in the top four. I think this is an opportunity you've got right now that you have to take. Yeah. 
I, 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 like, I echo everything that's been said, Ian. So I, I really like Arteta. I think he's a brilliant coach. Um, I think the team's fantastic in terms of the young players that they've got. But it's interesting when you're in a cycle of a club, you know, Manchester United have had it. When you depress the ambition of a football club from where it's been previously and you have that what would be significant period of what would be failure, yeah. you then get really happy about basically finishing fourth. And, that's, and you, you also get really happy about having a likeable team. And I found myself saying those things at United in the last few years when Oli came in. So I started to like the team again last year. I thought they were together. I thought, you know, finishing second. But it's because of a depressed amb ambition that we feel like that as Arsenal and Manchester United fans. You know, Everton fans, I can't even think what you're thinking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come to a bit later. We can't start. You can't start. You, you depress that low in terms of your ambition. You're probably happy just to. It's like. I want to win two games on the run. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have. No, you'll win a And it sounds crazy. Look at Tottenham before. Tottenham, yeah. Tottenham yeah. I think, under Daniel Levy's ownership, have won one trophy in 20 odd years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you so said he was the boss, but best no, operator no, in football. I think he's a good operator. I think he's a good operator. My point is, you depress the ambition that oh, they didn't win that many before that either yeah. but, but you, you depress the ambition that low and I think with Arsenal my concern is my question my point I'm going to make here is Mikel Arteta finishes fourth this season which I think is to be fair 50-50 yeah. I do I think that still it's a long way to go if he finishes fourth he almost in some ways is as good as he can probably get that's sad it's a, it's a stepping stone you're not feeling so like a, it's a stepping stone in Champions Pep, League recruitment Pep, and then you can build and build United, and build Chelsea where can they go because they, they're not going to compete United that, Oh, United will recover. They throw that much money on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you spent an hour talking about how they're going to take ages to recover. I know, but my point is, I'm not talking about recovering to get yeah. above Arsenal. That won't take too much of a recovery. Look at that Liverpool team pre-clock. You know, I'm just saying, Mikel Arteta, for me, I think he's a brilliant coach. I, I, I love the idea that when I see a team, I can see the maximum he's being achieved with those players. The, I can see exactly how he wants to play. We all can. But he gets to fourth... If he was really hard about it, he'd probably say, right, that's the best I can do there. I'm going now, I'm going to do my next job. Yeah. It sounds crazy. No, what Arsenal need to get, Arsenal need to get fourth, and I think the, when you sort of liken it to what Klopp did at Liverpool, Arsenal at the stage where I said before, they haven't got a Ronaldo, they haven't got a Kane. The next sort of two or three signings for Arsenal have to be Alisson, have to be Van Dijk, what they were for Liverpool, where they take you from sort of fighting for the top four, getting in the top four, to making that jump where you're competing with City, Liverpool, right at this moment, Chelsea. That, that, that's Arsenal's next thing. That they need a, they need a, big, a, a really top centre forward who could really take them up a level, have maybe a central midfield. Have they got that money, Arsenal? No, that's what I'm saying. So that's why it's imperative. That's why I think it's imperative getting in the Champions League, the extra oh. money and, and in terms of revenue, what they have to pay. But they need those, they need those two or three stars because what they've got now is a really good team, well coached, young players, but that's never going to be enough on its own. Yeah. They need those two sort of superstar you players who can, who can elevate them. Like if Arsenal and Man United finish fifth or sixth and they come the summer, you go, there is money available. Yeah. Trying to get players to come to a big club and they're not in the Champions League. Players want to play in the Champions League. Yeah. You're just chasing your tail all the time unless you can get back in the group. At least if you do finish fourth, Gary, you're, at least you're in there with a fight of yeah. getting that recruitment right. Yeah. Whereas the real top players will not want to come to a team who are not in the Champions League. True. We touched on Spurs briefly, talking about the Champions League. How do you feel about your chances? Obviously, you're up against Arsenal again for that fourth I feel, spot. I mean, obviously, there's a certain element of 
uh, trepidation because this will be the first time Arsenal, as we all know, have finished above Spurs in about six years or something. Um, so they're really excited. Of, they're really excited about that. And I understand, as, as, a, as, a, as a fan of the, t- the only team, uh, as, a, as a fan of the only team that doesn't actually win trophies, the journey is important. So I appreciate why Arsenal are, are enjoying their, their, their time. Um, look, as it stands, when we're recording. They're three points ahead of us. They've got to play Chelsea with their game in hand. Mm-hmm. And they've still got to play Spurs at, at Tottenham. And United. And United. Well. And United. So it's quite difficult. Yeah. A difficult role. And it, it's kind You've of still not... got to go to Anfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is that. But, the, <laughs> but, 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 but the thing like everyone's sort of praising Arteta here, but he was kind of leading the, the charge or the, the idea that Arsenal shouldn't play Tottenham Hotspur at Wild Lane a couple of months ago, showing blatant elements of cowardice. Where uh, in a North London derby, the biggest tie in their in their league in their, in their league. You've got a problem with Tottenham calling you cowards. Well, look, they, <laughs> mate, they Jesus, did they show up? They didn't show up. They should have played that you game. You've shown up for all 20 years. Yeah, well, how, how are you saying all we these things? We, we never didn't turn up to play Arsenal at North London derby. They were too should afraid. Have done sometimes they were honestly. too af- James, They were too afraid. <laughs> To come and play Spurs at White Hart Lane they were not afraid. because they were worried about what the result might be. They could have filled as a team. They had one case of COVID. One case of COVID. Roy, if you were in that dressing room and your manager's going, I don't really want to play Spurs, they might beat us. Would that be would that what kind of message would that give? Every, this is, this every is game, game, every game is Every game is important. We're missing more than one, aren't we? Yeah, but we're missing one player. They had one case of COVID. But we were missing... We didn't have... We could have filled our strong teams. They had one one case of COVID. Yeah, but surely you want to be the strong Arsenal team, don't you? I want to be any Arsenal team that are willing to... I certainly want a rival that's willing to show up when we agree to meet. Sorry. Look forward. You're hanging on to this too much. Look forward. Sorry. Is Conte going to stay? Is Conte going to stay at Tottenham? Sorry. No, it's it's Con- Conte. He's, he's, your man- he's your manager. Conte. He's, he's already mentally left. He's already gone. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a narrative. I'm not surprised this came up. This is a narrative that everybody believed outside of Spurs that Conte shouldn't be at Tottenham. It winds people up that we've got a manager as good as him. Why is he at Spurs? And that's what that's why what, what was that's why your question was loaded. No, it's not. I think he's going to get winds him up. Spurs are not shit. That's, un- that's unkind as well to, to bring me in and call my team shit is unkind. We appreciate this is a great opportunity for Tottenham. Um, we've got a manager who is above our station, I, I admit that. And we're kind of looking at Daniel Levy, who is a good operator, but we're not sure if he's driven by success and, or is it about just running a, a football club in the way that he has at Spurs, which for a lot of fans isn't enough anymore. So um, we have a great opportunity with Conte. And the question is, is whether or not Daniel Levy is going to back him in the window. If we don't have Champions League football, how much money is going to be available? Like you said, Roy Arsenal, the same situation. Is the players we need to attract, are they going to want to come to Spurs if the Champions League football isn't there? So it's about whether or not Daniel Levy will speculate. History tells us that he won't. So are we going to be in a situation where Conte does leave at the end of next season, because that's when his contract runs out, and we're in the same place as we were before he joined. But that fourth is, is available yes, for you, isn't it? Yeah. The way Kane and Son are playing yeah, that yeah. fourth Spurs. Yeah. Best, best Premier almost, League duo in terms Spurs of Spurs have almost snuck up there. But more, more to point is that Ben Tancor and Kulisevsky hitting the floor running, hitting the ground running. So they, they they, they've come in. That's good recruitment, without a doubt. Yeah. I think, I, I, get I, play, I think you'll get players at Spurs because I think Conte's relationships 
with players that he's had previously and his sort of contacts, I do think that he is a manager that will attract players. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a club can attract players, but also managers can attract players. I think he will attract players. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The opportunity is there. We've got a great opportunity at Tottenham to do something now. It's just whether or not Daniel Levy will allow that to happen. But again, we've got the next few months. If Tottenham can finish fourth, you look at the end of the season, you say, it's been a great season. If they finish yeah, sixth, you'd be getting, you know, you'd be getting this four positions available to two or three teams. You've always had a soft spot. And, Spurs, yeah, I do. But that's when you judge yeah. at the end of the season. We're all trying to make judgments now, but this is the vital part of the season. Yeah, Spurs was my team as a kid, yeah. Will Kane want to leave again in the summer? Too I'm sure he would. Depends yeah. if you interview him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when you next month? Yeah, well, there's about eight, eight or nine players at United that you should go on a little golf, golf walk with. Saka, if he has any ambition, surely he's got to leave Arsenal and go City. Smith Rowe as well, isn't it? No, if no, we're all no. going by that token. I've got about 16 at Everton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll bring the mini bus. Walking on the golf course with 16 players. <laughs> Where's your next club? Do you, do you think that, I guess, Kane and Son deserve to win something? And how long will that partnership last, in, in reality, if they don't get Champions League? Uh, I, I can't see Harry Kane leaving Tottenham now. I think he'd like to leave in, in the summer if he got the opportunity. But I just, maybe I'm wrong, but I just think that that ship has sailed with, with Manchester City. He's a year older, he's still a fantastic player. But there's talk of, uh, of Haaland coming in. Uh, but listen, it's been a brilliant partnership, uh, Kane and Son. That could be, you know, go down one of the, the, the great Premier League partnerships. We, we said the number one, but it is, it is about winning things, and that's why you know Harry Kane does does want want to move. It's not against Tottenham. He just wants the end of his career. He doesn't want to be known as a guy who scored, you know, lots of goals as a great player, but he didn't win nothing because that is that is the most important thing about football. And we're up here, and we've, we've been lucky that we've won a few trophies, but. They're always the memories you go back to when you're a player. You know, you think of sort of, you know, the, the final or the game or, you know, the night out after it, whatever it may be. And that's what those players want to want. Uh, want. And you think of Harry Kane, I always think of him alongside that sort of line of great England strikers. And you think of sort of the 80s was, was Gary Lineker. And then it, it become Alan Shearer. And obviously you had Wayne, who was different, and maybe Michael Owen. They won a few trophies. But Lineker didn't win very much. Neither did Alan Shearer. And Harry Kane is sort of that similar sort. He, he's in that bracket of them. He may end up eclipsing them, you know, at the end of his career in terms of his numbers. But you don't want that career of just being known as winning the Golden Boot. You know, I was top scorer in the Premier League. You want to win big trophies, and that's, that's more important, I think, than those individual honours. And I always think of those great strikers. And is there something in that, a selfishness as a striker, where it's, it's just about me making sure I, I score? I don't know. They, they, they're great players. Harry Kane would rather win a league title than be the record goal scoring in the Premier League. No, that, that, that is... Yes. That, it, yes. That's interesting. No, no, I agree no, with something. No, I, I think he's... That's, I, a much, much more, that's a much more difficult thing to achieve than winning the league. Because... But he'll do both if he wins the Premier League title. Yeah, but he, yeah, he, he, not, he could no, do both. He's done it with Spurs. And this is not either or, though, is it? If he goes to City, he'll still win the Premier He'll still get the Premier League goal scoring record and win the Premier League title. Yeah, but he sold his soul to do it. But that's me... Should he be Yeah, he should. he's that good. Let it's not my fault. I reckon he should have done. Yeah, he should have turned up in some finals. That would have, that would have been all right. Uh, we've got to talk about something that Tottenham won't be in the title race. Is, where have Liverpool come from? Because uh, 14 points behind, uh, now just one point in it, nine straight wins. Gary, can they keep it going? You know what? I think so often, Gary just mentioned how, how good Klopp is as a manager, and so often, even as a fan, you might question, you look at things and think, oh, I'm not sure about that, or I'm not sure about that signing, or little things as we all do, even, you know, you think he's amazing. 
the amount of times the sort of Klopp and this team prove you're wrong. Uh, and you think of how far behind City, you couldn't think of City dropping a point. But to go on that run that they've gone on, and, and City not even... It doesn't even feel like City have dropped that many no. points in some ways or had a bad run. Just done what most teams would do normally. Uh, it is a, a special group, and that's what I say, that. Uh, got some star players in it, but I, I just think what, what Klopp's done. Uh, and I think the thing with Diaz signing... I actually think Liverpool have got a better squad now than Manchester City. I do think that in terms of when you look at the bench. You've got a bigger squad, it, definitely, as well. Pardon? You've got a bigger squad these days. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. So it, it, it's interesting that the narrative around City is that they've got the best squad. And they've probably got the best 16. Would you, would you agree with that? 16, 17? The, the better quality per number, if that makes sense. But you've definitely got a bigger stroke squad. And these days, we're, we're a little bit short, I would say. Honestly, we're having kids Man on the bench City all the time. Short. Yeah, you no, don't see it, but we have like, like, on the bench all the time, now, generally. I don't know if they've got... I, I can't think of someone who's like a bad It's always and Bette and Scott Carter. You have two yeah. keepers on the bench every week. There's always like a couple of young lads on the bench. You actually look at City's bench. I'm not saying they've got a poor squad. Of course, they haven't. It's amazing. But Liverpool have got greater numbers. Uh, when you see like sort of what, what they've done lately, Liverpool aren't actually playing that well. I think for the last four or five weeks, going starting with the West Ham game, into Milan, away at Brighton, away at uh, Arsenal, First away at Arsenal. Yeah. The last game, what was the last game Liverpool just played? Uh, the, uh, the, cup, the cup game against uh, Nottingham Forest. It, it's not the Liverpool that, and the grinding results out. And I don't know. We, we'll see when they come back. I don't know if the breaks come at a good time because. What I noticed against the Arsenal, what Arsenal did in that first half is what Liverpool always do to other teams where they sort of outrun them. Too much energy for them. And I've watched Liverpool lately and it looks like other teams are doing that to Liverpool. Whether that's just a spell they're going through or maybe it's a little bit of time, but they're still getting the job done. Yeah. And I think Van Dijk's been unbelievable in this run in terms of keeping Liverpool really strong at the back and it's only needed one goal to win a game. But I just hope when Liverpool do come back, there's sort of like a... They're revitalised in terms of the performance and their energy because they're going to need that between now and the end of the season. But what they've got right now and what Klopp's built, and I just think that signing of Diaz and when you're bringing him off, bringing him on, or you're bringing Firmino on, the changing games, Liverpool have never had... News have always had it. United in the past, the, the, the strikers in 99. Liverpool have got something special now where, where you actually look at the squad and you think the team can actually improve from the bench. I'd watch Liverpool and you'd be thinking, who are you going to bring on? Yeah. You, you can't take him off because he's he's half the player. But now you're bringing someone on at the same level. I don't think Liverpool are in bad form. I don't think you can be in good form and be in the FA Cup, Champions League, League and Carabao Cup. I don't think you can be in good form. I, I, honestly, I think you can, you're going to just get through games through resilience, quality, spirit, energy. I think they're unbelievably dangerous and I think they're going to do something pretty special this season because, honestly, when I watched them against Arsenal last week, there is nothing that I saw that didn't tell me that's a team that's going to go and win the title. That is a title-winning performance, that. Awful first half. If they were top of the league, we'd be talking about Liverpool in title-winning form. Because no, that's Liv what they were like in, in no, Liverpool, when they did win the league. I, I genuinely think Liverpool, for me now, I've said City all season, so I'll stick with it, but I think Liverpool will win the league. I think they're dangerous in the other two competitions and I think they'll do something special because them five strikers they've got... That midfield, by the way, people see the midfield at Liverpool as the, maybe the weakness. I think it's the strength. Because... The back and the front are so exceptional. Those two, those two full-backs are, are forward all the time. They're up there. The three, three up front go up there. That three, in mid, that three in midfield, because of their discipline and their subservient nature, Fabinho, yeah. um, Thiago and Henderson, 
Their subservient nature to the rest of the players means they just hold everything together. They're going to do something dangerous this season. It's scary for United fans to say that. I really do worry that they'll go and win three or four trophies. I, I, it would concern me. City it's a good habit. It's a good habit winning football matches when you're not even at yeah. your best. That's City are on for the treble. Uh, obviously, the quadruple, quadruple for, for potentially for, for Liverpool. Yeah. Let's look at the, the, the running for the, for the next month as well. Because who's, who's got the easier running? Who's got the, uh, who's got the harder running here? That game on April 10th is unbelievable. That's, that's, that's the season's on that. It's City. unbelievable, Honestly, that game. City aren't in the best form right now, but momentum after a game like that. I think City do genuinely turn up in the big games, especially at the Etihad, like against Chelsea and United and so on. And I do think, yeah, our form right now has been a little bit sketchy, but that one there, it, it reminds me a little bit of the 18-19 season where we played you, um, beat you 2-1 at the Etihad, and we were chasing you at that point, to be fair, but it felt like the season was resting on that game. And, Right now, games in hand. I'm still going with City. Wow. Still, oh, yeah, we, we mentioned Klopp and City. The City, obviously Liverpool. As if Pep, as if Pep doesn't, as if he doesn't know how to get over the line in these big games yeah, or championship. Know. Don't forget what a, obviously an unbelievable manager he is. No, I, that's something City will do it. I think City have got the easier fixtures. I think what you've got, you've, you've got to throw in your, your, your. Well, I know Champions League are in there, but you're just thinking if they get to the semi-final, City would play Chelsea. Which I, I know what that's like myself when you play another English team. It just feels bigger. Yeah. The media, the, the, it just the, the Champions League draw was good for Liverpool. Not in terms of like an easy team to play against, but not actually coming up against City or Chelsea. I think the fact City and Chelsea would probably meet in the semi-final. I just think psychologically and how big the Champions League will be for City because they haven't won it. That, that, where those games go in. I think that's going to take a little bit of focus away, that, that desire. And obviously, you know, as a City fan, just to try and win that Champions League, would that take away a little bit of the focus? From people, the people always say that, and I, I never really believe it. You know, people say, oh, City want the Champions League more than anything, so it means they won't, they won't be as focused on the League. More like a subconscious thing, you know, you, you were talking about that game. No, that, I, don't I, I, don't, I, I don't really think so, but I think... But that's the same for everyone. The Champions League is massive, and there is a come-down sometimes if you play Wednesday night and then you're playing Saturday half 12 or 3 o'clock, sort of that. Sort of getting yourself going again mentally and sort of having that energy. Well, that's but when I, the squad I, comes to dinner. Yeah, you of the course. The manager's got to make the right change at the right time where you see some lads might be just on a little bit of a downer after a game or whatever. And that's where the squad comes into it. You pick the, the brilliant decision-making from these managers, Pep and obviously Klopp, will be vital in these, um, in these games. Huge. What's more likely, a, a City treble or a Liverpool quadruple? Both <laughs> uh, don't bear thinking about. City, there's four games that will decide our season. Atletico, Liverpool, Atletico, Liverpool. In three competitions, Champions League, of course. Uh, FA Cup, and after that, I mean, it's really, it could go anyway because Chelsea's uh, a big problem for you in that semi-final if they get through. If we I get through, yeah, you'll be Atletico. Do you know I, think it's Atletico. What I saw here, you'll be Atletico. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think we will as well. I must admit that there's the fear that they become the Atletico of old. I miss, obviously no. they're a different side to then, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Mainly as well because of the potential fatigue of that with Liverpool after that. Because one thing you say about Atletico. I think it will be a grind, regardless, because it is. It's Atletico, and they will. They'll be physical, even if they're not great. They'll be physical. They'll be, you know, aggressive, um, and that will, of course, have potentially some knock-on effect when we play Liverpool in this you game. You know, so the it's going to be City, City as a club, you've never really bought into the Champions League or embraced it. So, so as a supporter right now, would you you still rather win the Premier League or the Champions League? I feel, honestly, it was always the Premier League for me, and mainly because I don't think. I, I want to say if we win the Champions League that we won the Premier League to say we are the best in Europe because I think you, 
I think it's a better argument to say you are the best in the, in, in the continent if you're also the league champions. Having said that right now, after last year's pain, and I, it stung, the Chelsea game stung. I feel like right now I probably would have the last word of the season. And if we just won the Champions League this season, I'd be devastated, of course, because these guys are tipped us. But, you know, I'd probably say that because I think you'd be remiss to say that City weren't the best side in the league, given what we've done over the last few years. You could say this City side, you know, it was the inevitable conclusion of what Pep's been building towards. So, it, put it this way, it'd be all right. You know, I'd take the Champions League this season. Um, <laughs> of course I would. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, obviously I'd be devastated, but... So humble, huh? The one thing that I think, I think if Liverpool got an injury to Van Dijk, yeah. that would be absolutely huge. Whereas City, I don't think, can lose one player and the drop would be big. Whereas I think Liverpool's drop would be huge. So I think for me... He never gets injured, though, does he, Gary? Some players, that's why they have no, quality. We had the injury last year, but I, I, I think that's the only thing I would say is that the, sort of the one from left field that throws any title race is an injury at the end to a major player. When you, in, in, the, in the season, you got injured. And then um, I think Pally was out for a month and Giggsy was out for a month. We lost Peter for two weeks. That was it. Arsenal obviously went on and won the double. We would never have lost that league in 98 to Arsenal if Roy hadn't got injured and if Pally hadn't missed a month. Or 96, was it? I can't Pally, remember. Pally, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was Pally? No, it wasn't 98. When, when was Pally there? Whenever it was. We lost about three or four players um, and it cost us. So you, that could still happen in this, you know, those games you've got every three days, you could get an injury that just goes. Pfft, and deflates everyone. Even a Trent, even losing Trent for a, you know six weeks, you like all of a sudden you've lost. He's half all right. Your goal. He's back after the international. I think it was a little. Oh, Ferguson Yeah, don't worry. Talk about semi-finals, finals. City Liverpool. I want to talk about the, the travel situation? Do you think they should move it? It's yeah, just so obvious. Will, will, will so they obvious. move it? Is no, the they, they won't move it. They don't care. They just don't care. Because they, they, they know, because they know football fans will figure it out. Because they always do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, no one thought about this when the Champions League final was in Kiev and you had scouts just travelling by a like minibus across the across the continent and exactly you know and and chartering flights and all kinds. They'll figure it out and they'll trust football fans to figure it out. But they don't care, do they? They don't care that you know. And it's that. There's a running joke around how Liverpool fans are all going to be skinned and single by the end of April, given how many big games that are coming up. But, you know, it's, it's funny, but, you know, but to put to the point, true. but it's true, you know, it's genuinely true. You know, the... the, the, the can you not just get an Uber? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm serious, can you not just get Ubers? To, from Liverpool to... Yes, yes, to we could get an Uber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got two kidneys, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a joke, and they don't care, and they don't, and, they, and they've shown this flagrant disregard for fans time and time again, and, some, and it doesn't get noticed as much because there's always more fans, and Liverpool have got a big fan base down south, they will, and it's easy for... for Liverpool will, will fill their allocation at Wembley if they do it, and, and no-one will notice, but it will be the fellas who've normally gone... Or fellas who've gone game in, game out, who all of a sudden they're to walk, and that, that extra 50 quid or the extra eight hours it takes to, you know, in, in the journey just is... That step too but far. But don't you always find a way? Fans find a way, don't yeah, you? Yeah, but and they shouldn't have to, though, should I they? Don't You're reasons. dead right, but as yeah. you said, the FA will know that sort of thing. Listen, I think find a way to get I think, I think there is a bigger problem for the FA, because I remember it came up. This is, this is not the first time this has happened, by the way, has it, where there's been this, shall we move it from Wembley, when there's been two Northern teams there. Um, and I think they've signed a contract with Wembley 
that those games have to be there. It's, a, it's an income guarantee type thing. So I, I, I think there's an element of they can't, or if they did, they'd have to lose quite a bit of money. Can we just say on the so, Wembley stuff, I, I understand, understand there's a cost factor to it. It's why we end up paying, you know, on the, the Duncan Bridge of the tunnel for the rest of our lives, you know what I mean? Because obviously these things cost, cost stuff. But I think, well, even like England and Wembley and, and being tied to that stadium, it's great having this showpiece stadium. And it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice ground, isn't it? Like, but I think about when England went on tour, when, the, when, when there was yeah. no, there was no home. Enjoy that. I, I mean, I'm no England fan. I wouldn't, you know, I don't really care about England's fortunes outside of major tournaments. But like getting to see England, Paraguay uh, at Anfield, which was good. You know, it brought them closer. Going to they played the stadium light. This, this like everything's got to be at Wembley. Wembley's really important. It takes the importance away. But I, I mean, the semi-finals being at Wembley, it's got to mean but something. I, I think means that's less. one of the problems. Gary's right. I think they are locked in. I think yeah. people buy boxes at Wembley where they, they get every game, and that's part of it. But it, we all want semi-finals at other grounds. There's something about playing on a neutral ground. We, we played Edinburgh against Chelsea uh, in 2006. I remember going as a fan going to Villa Park, and it was different stadiums. And you're always thinking that that's a semi-final stadium. Yeah. And we've lost that. And I think a big problem for the FA will be if, uh, say, the game was here between Liverpool and uh, Manchester City, everyone would love it. Yeah. And it'd be that sort of swell of opinion of, like, it'd be even bigger, this bandwagon of semi-finals can't be... We've got stadiums now as good as Wembley. The attendance is not quite far off Wembley. Old Trafford, you know, Tottenham Stadium. Trafford, I was just going to say, put City and Liverpool, no, Liverpool in there. There could be a massive insurance job, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can't be all, all fun and games. We've got to talk about relegation. Barry, talk to us about what's going on at your club. It's been a catalogue of disasters, really, all season. Wrong manager, in fighting, massive injury list. Crap performances. Put it all together. Amazon have missed out on a cracking documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that side of it's great, right? Though. But other than that, it's it's sound, yeah. There was there was there seemed to be a bit of hope. Like, you know, you were quite you were quite jovial at the, at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I was. I had to, I had to be. Didn't I? I didn't throw and you know ex Everton fan over there having a pop. So you've got to stand up for your club. But I told you, you not to derby games, didn't I? You did. What was going to happen? I, I did say you could happen. By the way, I just hoped it wouldn't. But. Um, no, I think, listen, when a manager comes in, you've got to try and back him, haven't you? You've got to, because otherwise, what's the point? But Everton fans were never going to buy into him fully, and it's... In this game, it's been said many times, Roy said it loads of times, it's about results. And that, there was this narrative when Evertonians wanted Benitez out was because he's an ex-Liverpool manager. No, it was because we'd won one game in 14, he was a bit crap, it didn't matter whether he was... Duncan Ferguson or whether he was other Evertonian, you know, Wayne Rooney was mentioned. They come in and have the same run. You're gonna want them out as well. That that it's been said many times. That squad on paper looks like it should be doing better than what it is. But when it gets on grass, it it remembers that it's not very good at football. And that's been an issue. But just we've changed, we've had something like seven managers in six years. You know, Alex Iwobi's on to, like, his fifth manager. That might be something about Alex Iwobi, or I don't know. <laughs> but at some stage, you can't keep blaming the fella who's in the dog. You can't. Yeah. And I'm not prepared now to throw the next manager under the bus when you've got these lads going out earning good money and putting in performances like we saw at Crystal Palace and at Tottenham. At home, when they can't get away with it. You know, <laughs> under Lampard, we've won four out of six Big games. Big Newcastle. The which? Big win, yeah, that's well, it was a big game, but it was a big win. But 
it was it wasn't a great performance, but then it was the same when Newcastle beat us up there. It was two poor teams and the home team won with the atmosphere. So at home, four wins out of six away, we've lost every away game. Now they're all ex-players at the top of the game. We'll tell you that it can't always be a home with the crowd. You've got to go away and perform. The pitch is the same, the ball's the same, there's still nets on the, you know, it doesn't matter whether people are booing you. These were top players who will have played in big atmospheres where the horrendous, you know, stuff getting said to them. Still performed every week. You can't go out and go, oh, for 10 minutes we'll pass the ball around. The minute something goes against us, right, I don't want to be. Biggest worry I have for everything, for all their problems, I, I don't think that group looks like a good group of players. No. They don't look good characters, they don't look we like... We spoke in August. We said this earlier in the season, even when we were off, obviously when we the programme finished. Yeah. Didn't seem like a good dressing room. No. Didn't seem like good pros, good lads who rolled their sleeves up. We spoke about a few that I worked with or... Oh, I've there's trouble ahead. I think Everton <laughs> are the worst-run club in the country. Uh, probably one of the worst-run clubs, I think, in Europe. They, they have to be. Mm. Uh, and that's not just because they've spent lots, lots of money and hasn't worked. That's happened before. But some of the things that Everton do, it's unbelievable when you think of what they did in January in terms of bringing two full-backs in and then sacking the manager a, a week later. Mm. Bringing El Gar... I mean, what was that about? They brought El Garzi in from Aston Villa, a winger. Benitez brought him in on lot. I don't even know why. Or... He brought him in to an area where arguably we've got loads did, of cover. We've got loads of wings. Exactly. It's just <laughs> it. that club is is, and that's why I go back to you've said they've had five or six managers. That's why they've had five or six managers. I think every manager who goes into any football clubs always thinks he's the guy to turn this around. The next guy goes here, I'm the guy to sort of. Everyone probably who goes into a managerial position thinks, yeah, you know, the fellow before me. Didn't have a clue. I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's why I, I fear for Frank a little bit because Everton Football Club right now is not a place you'd want to go as a manager because I think there's that much going on around you. It's an absolute mess. It's, it, the, the owner hasn't got a clue, has he? No. You've obviously got the Usmanov thing right now. Uh, but in terms of those players, I, I said a few a couple of weeks ago they're a disgrace. Mm. Uh, that, that is Can when you, you look say at before the West Ham game because they actually had to go after you'd said that against Newcastle. So the day of the West Ham game, you know, for being honest about the Newcastle game, the which the Newcastle game, yeah. you you were poor. That was a lucky, lucky win. Yeah, but it was the same up there. They were poor. No, I know. But what I'm trying to say is Everton on the back of that Newcastle yeah. game was this big feat, and I get it, you won. But it was a worrying performance. But right now, right now, it's not the time for trying to worry about passing out from the back. If, if there's any criticism of Frank since he come in, it is that it's this philosophy will play out from the back. Man, you know, teams aren't as good as Manchester City, we're not. We had what we did against Newcastle, why we were better defensively against Newcastle was because we didn't play out from the back. Begovic just knocked it along and we competed. It down here now, right where we are, all that can come in the summer. You've got to stay up. Then you I, can start changing the squad and playing up. Yeah, right now you need points. I think if it's not Leeds, could go down. Yeah. I do. I think if Everton lose to Burnley, I think you'll go down. I think, uh, I mean, Leeds, Leeds win obviously was massive, but massive at Wolves. Back to back, yeah. Eh? Back to back. Mass, yeah, it's massive and it could save them, but I do think that there's something both of those yeah. squads that you look at and think, they could go. Because, you know, Burnley and Watford, I just look at Sean Dyche and Roy Hudson, and I think... They know too much. They know what's going on here. You're shaking your head there, why? Why? I am, because I think when you're in that position every year, it catches up with you at some stage. Yeah. People have been saying for weeks, Burnley will get out of this, they'll turn up. They're getting beat every week. Spurs battered them and he got a goal at the end and won 1-0. I'm not saying he won't, because Dice has done it before. But a team 
Only ever in the Premier League history is one team won one game at Christmas and stayed up. And two teams had one win at Christmas. Now, I think for Everton, our home form will keep us up just. It'll be about, it won't be about whether Everton are good enough to stay up. It'll be about whether there's three teams worse Stay than by default. And that's terrible, given the money we've spent. The I just think Burnley or Watford... But Burnley aren't scoring any goals. No, I know. I, 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 I know, but Watford... I, 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 something could happen at Watford. You know, Roy, honestly, he's, he's done it before. Like at, I think it was at Fulham where he got out on the last day and they were in a terrible position. Yeah. I, I do think something could happen and one of you could get dragged Everton in. got three games in hand. They got home games. If they win no, the home games, you've got one game, game in hand on Burnley. One on Burnley, four points ahead. So if don't yeah. get beat at Burnley, then they're yeah. still. That's what I'm saying. I think if yeah. you lost that game, mm. the only thing I, I, I think about that there's obviously panic around Everton because it's yeah, such a yeah. huge football club. Burnley and Watford, as you say, they used to being down there, and not, more often than not, eventually you'll go down. But I just don't think if Burnley, I think Burnley lost a home to Chelsea a few weeks ago, four, three or four nil. Mm. If that happens at Goodison, mm. or, or you, you lose a bad game at home. You, you and I, and I know oh, being yeah, in the yeah, city, yeah. how that would affect everyone. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. just like, this is the end. Whereas I could imagine at Burnley, it's okay, we, we can write that off on Burnley. Yeah, We're supposed yeah, to yeah. get beat by these teams. No, I agree with you that. You understand what I mean? I, I yeah. always think Burnley have got an ability to, to beat you at home 1 0. Mm. And Sean Dyche just, no, no one's going to panic. And if they went down, they're almost expected to go down. We've been here for six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Everton, it's that big a situation. That would be my worry forever. Shall in terms I, of the home games become that sort of toxic no, or that nervous. We've got Burnley away and Watford away. Don't lose then two, we'd be fine. We, we need, for me, we need 11 points with, out of 11 games. So if that squad of players can't get 11 points from 11 games, then maybe... You maybe deserve to go down. Yeah, we've, we've, got, we've got to touch on Leeds. Mm. Ryan, you, you're looking a little bit nervous over there. Talk to me. Um, yeah, Leeds. It should come with a health warning, being a Leeds fan, to be honest with you, because the last two games were insane. I mean, the Norwich, we should have put that game to bed. We should have been 2-3-0 up by the time uh, Pookie got the equaliser. No, it wasn't Pookie, but by the time they got the equaliser. But fortunately for us, we got a winning goal in the last minute. But the Wolves game, you, you, mm. Gary, Jamie, you both covered it. Um, that first half, I agree with you. Gary, you were saying uh, uh, punditry at half-time. You fear for Leeds, you think they're arguably down, or will be down. And I kind of had to agree, because we were horrendous in that, in that first half against Wolves, but what I would say compared to what I've seen at Everton, a lot of don't follow Everton, obviously religious, so I could do with Leeds, same with Burnley, Watford. The Leeds squad, I mean, we talk about injuries, don't talk to me about injuries, being a Leeds fan. I mean, it's incredible the amount of injuries we've got. I've never seen anything like it as a, as a, as a football fan, as a Leeds fan, it's mad, but... I'll agree with you. Yeah. We've actually got the thing of having the most players injured this season. <laughs> centre forward for five months, centre midfielder for three months. So We had four players injured against Wolves. No, 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 no. I'm saying that's probably <laughs> the reasons why we have. That isn't the only reason. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, I try not to use that as an excuse why mm. Leeds doing bad, but it arguably is. Yeah. Calvin Phillips, England international, fantastic holding midfield. It is, you know, we call him the Yorkshire Perlow because he kind of does that role, you know. Um, Liam Cooper, centre-half, the captain of the club. Oh, Earlier, we talked about leaders. Liam Cooper's a leader. We have got one or two other leaders, but we, we don't have a lot of leaders. Do, do you think what you said about Leeds, then, when you said, like, watching leaders who come with a health one, and that sort of madness, do you think yeah. that, in some ways, will probably could keep you up? Because yeah. when I think of the other teams down there, you do watch me think, I will they score yeah. a goal? With Leeds, though, you do think... 
Yeah, you could concede to it, you could yeah. score four. It's, yeah. it's mad when you watch it. Sometimes you're watching certain things when you're commentating and working on the games. You can't believe what you're seeing. But I do sometimes think that sort of madness around Leeds games Leeds will keep it up. Yeah. Those back-to-back wins are huge yeah, for Leeds. Yeah. Huge. Back-to-back yeah. wins. You, back, massive. Back as back as wins. bad as they were against Wolves, you're saying, or maybe the Norris game would have given up chances, they still won the games. Yeah, they yeah. Won the, you find a way to win a football match. And Leeds have done that. I think Leeds will be OK. I, well, mean, I, I agree with... Even that energy. Sometimes you watch the other team, you go, I don't even see energy or enthusiasm. Yeah. Whereas Leeds, sometimes as bad as they are some days, yeah. they do have energy. It, it, there yeah. has been a revival under Jesse Marsh. Like that, that, and you guys, both of you spoke to him after the, after the Wolves game. What did you make of him? I, I like him. I think he comes across. He looks like he's got real big energy. Uh, he's going to get ridiculed because he's, he's American. That seems to happen when everyone, anyone comes into the uh, Premier League. Even Manchester United coach, didn't he? Uh, Ted Lasso. Uh, he was christened by some of the players, supposedly. But, no, uh, he's got an energy about him. The thing he did at Leicester, I think, after the game on the pitch, that's one of those things that sometimes people really like or don't. So you sort of split people by doing things like that. I think he gave a team talk on the pitch at the end of the game. But... No, I, I think he's got something about him. I've seen a team talk he did at Anfield, I think it was on, on, on YouTube when he played uh, against Liverpool and actually did really well in the Champions League game. Haaland was in his team at the time. So, no, I think he's got something about him and I, I think he'll keep them up. No, I, I think I, he'll do OK. I spoke to a couple... Because, interestingly, obviously, yeah, I, the first time I'd obviously spoken to him at the uh, Wolves game, um, and he obviously you can tell he's good for the media in terms of he comes out, he's energetic, he wants to do it. So that, that part, side of it is a, is a dream. But I spoke to a couple of the Leeds lads, uh, no one of them reasonably well, and said, you know, what's he like? Open-ended question. And he said, really impressive. His sessions are fantastic, really good. And I, was, I wasn't expect, maybe I wasn't expecting that answer from the two Leeds lads that yeah. I spoke to. Because I was imagining that basically they were so Bielsa mad yeah. about what they'd done there. You know, Bielsa was a huge favourite of those players. They were de deeply upset when he left. But actually they spoke really well of him. And they wouldn't have done, they wouldn't have done, and I wouldn't probably be saying if they hadn't have done. The reason I feel comfortable saying it is because they were really positive about his training sessions, the energy, the spirit. He said it was still really good. And it actually, to be fair, I thought, yeah, fair enough. That's, that's football, isn't it? It's yeah. Bielsa, the king is dead, long live the king. Last year, Bielsa, the last few years we've been hearing about double sessions are fantastic. Is it killer ball they play? Murder ball. Murder ball, we all love it. <laughs> and then this year, oh, double sessions are killing us, you know. We, we don't, it's just, that's the nature of the game. Yeah. Players move on, it's like Chelsea, politics, and that's going on upstairs. Players coming in, they, they carry on with their jobs. And it's nice to have to give them some compliments, obviously. Yeah. But it, he's been in there how long? Three or four weeks. Yeah. If they say they don't like the session after three or four weeks, yeah, yeah, you yeah, are in trouble. trouble. Everyone <laughs> likes the first three or four weeks. Yeah. Ask him next year. Yeah. Not long left. Time to get some questions from, from you, the fans. Anything, anything Can you want to say Because you've done the overlap with Frank Lampard and I watched it. Yeah. I mean, what, what's, from the player's point of view, like, what, what's his biggest problem he's got at Ev? Don't, don't say Machiri, because we all know that and can, we you know, know that. The big but, problems I see for Frank or anybody going to Everton, or into actually Merseyside, actually, that'd be very different for Frank from what he would have expected, you know what I mean, in terms of my brother went there, so I've got a first-hand experience, or second-hand experience, uh, of being... So it took, took two or three years for you to actually accept Phil and sort of when it's a sort of someone coming in who's not one of your own mm. into a city like Liverpool, into Everton. It took him to smash Ronaldo. Once he'd done uh, that, we, we yeah. were all over it. So then, yeah, so I'm saying to you, my point is, I think, for Frank, it'll be completely different than what mm. he experienced at Derby, what he experienced at Chelsea. That sort of Goodison Park's a different place. You obviously know the city well, so I think that'll be a little bit of a sort of culture shock for him. That energy of sort of 
Liverpudlians around you, sort of like they, you know, they want you to embed yourself in your city, and you'll have to live there, and you have to be there, and you'll, they'll want that in return. That sort of, if you like, that you know, Liverpudlian tax type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, they do, they want you in there. You can't just say oh, I'm going to go back to London every ten minutes no, and, no. and all that sort of stuff. So I think you have to get used to that. I think it'll be difficult for him, but he's it, it, have to get through these early difficult moments. Phil did, as I say. Yeah. yeah. Phil struggled for a year, yeah. really struggled, like just in the city. Mm. And then after a year or so, you know, people realised that he was there for the longer run, he stuck in there, he got through it, he wasn't just going to bob off when it was a bit difficult. He wasn't like his brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I mean? He hung yeah, in there no, and said, no, I'm going to stay. And to be fair, I think people recognised that he committed. And I think that's what Frank's going to have to do, is get through these difficult few months and then get into next season. Survival is part of the job, particularly for management. Mm. And I look at Frank and, I, again, I always think, I see him on the sideline when things have been going against him, even against the Palace game. And, I'm looking for Frank to show something. I've, I've yet to see that. I've yet to see that. No, I'm not saying he needs to be ranting and raving on the sideline, but he certainly needs part of his game for his long-term future has to survive the next few months with Everton, keep him up, and then do this rebuilding job in the summer for Everton. Mm. But these words just roll off your tongue. He's got to get a few results. And show the, again, you mentioned Rafa Benitez. I'm sure Frank Lampard is getting results at Everton. If he was winning every week, he could live in London Monday to Friday. <laughs> you know, they'll forgive most things, fans, if you're yeah. winning. But if you start losing games, they'll start picking holes in personalities, where he's from, past history, who he played for, and all this carry on. Yeah. If he's winning, he's got a chance. The, the, so, sorry, Roy. The big thing for Frank is, throughout his career, mainly, he's been in teams who were, who were winning. And even if you talk about Derby and Chelsea, maybe he wanted to go a little bit better. But they're winning most weeks. So if you get to the, into the playoffs, you're coming in most Monday mornings and you've won. Even with Chelsea, yeah, okay, didn't you know win a couple of trophies, but you're winning each week. He's now at a club where he's got to get used to losing right now. Mm. The run that they're on, the run that these players have been on before, and what he's on now. And he's got to be the guy who's got to then come in on a Monday, lift the players. And this is a, a Frank Lampard who's not used to losing. As a player, same thing. Most of the that mentally, yeah. And 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 how he deals with that sort of mentally, because it's, it's tough. We've all been. I haven't been there as a manager, but that feeling coming into a training on Monday morning, you've had a bad defeat, and that's the big thing for Frank. He's never had to do this in his managerial career. He's always had sort of good teams at the level that they have, and that'd be the big thing for him. But when you're talking about Goodison, that's the one thing that's gone well. There's been an atmosphere in Goodison in, mm. in a lot of the games where they've had good results and Frank's been on the pitch and sort of embraced it with the supporters. Yeah. And there is, it, it doesn't feel like the supporters are like, who's this fellow who's come to our club yeah. and, and really question him. The Everton fans are almost, be, they're behind Frank, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, happy that he got the job. There was a, a buzz around that first game. You had the, the Man City game, you were unlucky. So the home games have been okay. But the problem Frank's got is this, Fr Frank Lampard, I, I roomed with Frank for the under-21s. We, we come through at the same level. We weren't, Frank wasn't a superstar. He wasn't like sort of Michael Owen or Stevie or Rio, where we, they went straight to the full squad. Frank Lampard got to the level he got as a player through obviously his ability, but a lot of it was his mentality, a really strong, you know, player. You know, he, he just was. He was every game. You just see him. He'd still be making those runs into the box with two minutes to go over game to try and get his goal. He was really focused. And the big problem for him is, as Roy's mentioned, that dressing room is not like that at all. You talking about captaincy before at Manchester United. I mean, I can't even. I mean, after, I mean, who is even the captain for Everton? I'm just trying to think. Like, I mean, to be fair to Seamus, attitude never let him down. Probably yeah, is. that's the problem. He probably shouldn't be there right now, and you know that's down to the club, the recruitment, but. If Coleman was out, who would you give that captain's armband to? I mean, it's just no one even no one. E no one even jumps out at you. There's, There's only Mina, and he's never no, fit. 
There's no personality there at all. Or, and, and the worst thing about that is that Everton, as a football club, have got to be about personality and character. They're never going to have the players Liverpool could attract. You know, they're always after going to be that dogs of war mentality, us against the world. And they're so opposite of that right now. That's the big frustrating thing, I think, for Everton fans. You can't even like, look at someone and think, you know, he's got a bit of something about him. One more question. Let's make it a good one. I've touched on Premier League legends. Right. We haven't touched on this team yet. And every time I see Roy, I think of Pat. And, you know, Vieira, Premier League, Hall of Fame, just new entrant. Crystal Palace getting to a semi-final in the FA Cup. How well do you think he's done? We touched on it at the beginning of the season about Pat going into Crystal yeah, Palace. It's an OK. I'm trying to get it out of you. No, he's done great. I listen to you just prep for Patrick. I had great battles with him. And uh, I'm not surprised how well he's doing. Again, Patrick's had a little bit of experience before he with the Palace. And I think we'd all look at when he got the job in the suburb of Palace, we were all probably thinking, oh, it's a tough job yeah. here following Roy Hodgson and issues with players and a lot of players' contracts are up. Mm. But also I thought it was a good time to go in there. The players' contracts are up, he could get rid of a lot. I think he's recruited well. They're playing a lovely brand of football. Probably should have won one or two more games in terms of the league. Mm. A couple of draws they've slipped up, but uh, no, Patrick's done well. And of course the cup run then is always a bonus. But the priority for Palace was obviously to probably stay up and get mid-table. Yeah. And he's doing a good, good job. No, a huge respect for Patrick. But again, he's done well this year. Again, the bigger test for Patrick will be coming up in the next year, yeah. the next season or two, when he's set high standards. Can he keep it going? But I've, uh, I wouldn't begrudge Patrick at the, the bit of success. Far from it. Just went to get out of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I just want to ask, so with the money that City have spent, with Pep at the minute, do you think they should have already won the Champions League? And do you think if he doesn't win it in the next couple of years, people will start asking questions about him? I, I have huge respect for Pep. If Pep never won the Champions League, and I wouldn't would lower my my thoughts on the guy. I think he's brilliant. His level of his stats. I know there's always an argument. He's always worked with the best players and the best teams, going back to Barca and Bayern. But he still have to win, and his win ratio is absolutely fantastic. I think it's something like 75%, which is fantastic. The Champions League. You need a bit of luck in these competitions. Um, but if he didn't do it with a city, I'd, I'd still take nothing away from the guy. I think he's brilliant. I think he has to win it for himself, really. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more of what he, the pressure he puts upon himself and what he wants to achieve in his career. And you know, for me, for him to come here and obviously not have to just the access to money, he's built brilliant teams. I think he has to win it to see that he's not just won it at Barcelona. He didn't yeah. win at Bayern. No, but my point is to think that he's not just if he got. Well, I think mean, he cares about this it. This idea he has to without Messi. But yeah, my point I, is. I, I think that he, not he needs to win. I, I, I think it'd be a big disappointment. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it'd be a big disappointment because you are the best team. No, you, what I'm saying is the, the big disappointment for Man City, I think, is if you go through every year, you've been knocked out. The, the, you're better than the team you've played. So Liverpool beat you early on, I think. I think Tottenham beat you, Monaco beat you. Chelsea Leon. in the final, you're better than Chelsea. So I think right now everybody looks at Man City over the last two or three years and says they're the best team in Europe. Do you think so the best team would always win? If it was no, the no, best it team winning. I know it doesn't. We wouldn't have won it. <laughs> but <laughs> what I'm saying is if you've got the best team and supposedly, and rightly so, the best manager, the most successful, and you don't win it, Oh, not over one season. You can't just say you have to win the Champions League this season because a refereeing decision, VAR, a poor performance, an injury. But over a five or six year period, Pep Guardiola should win the Champions League with the squad Manchester City got on the funds. They've and they're the I best team in the best league. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, I think it's, I think it's fair, but um, this idea that it's world not world easy to win. You guys know it's not easy to win. Ferguson now, two, two times in 20 odd years, you know, it's not easy to do at all. That's not an excuse, but it's just hard. And the way Pep plays in general, he's, no, he's called the best manager in the, the world for a reason. Well, well, yeah, but you should have, you're right. The thing is, I would say is once you've got to the final, in my opinion, you've proven you can go all the way because you've literally got there. And then after that, it's a 90 minute game. I do think the motivation that City will get from getting 
getting there now. Getting to the final is not a big mental barrier now for Manchester City. It isn't because we've already done it once. So, but losing it in the way he did. Yeah, what, what do you think about Pep? It always feels to me when the, the... he cares about it massively. No, he of really course does. He's a, does he care too much in some ways? Because every time Man City play a big European game, like even like the final last year, he'll do something with the team. Yeah. I remember him yeah. doing something at Anfield that I, I, I thought was strange. The final. There's been I think, a, he didn't start at the end. Yeah, he didn't start. Yeah, he played in the final. He played no defensive midfielders. He played Gundogan instead of Rodri or Fernandinho. What do you feel as a fan? Do you think Pep always is he trying to be too clever or to get? Bit. That's what I mean. He overthinks the big moments. Like you see him, that like he gets, he got to that final, and I, I think personally, even if he started at the end, he still would have beat you. But like uh, he, he overthought stuff. So like he thought, like you know, we'll do this instead of sticking to what he's done. I'm sure that was like I the second time he mind, played. He wants to win it. I think yeah, that's like, the one he wants to. Whether he everybody it or wants not. to win it. The thing is, no, every manager wants to bloody win it. That's in it. I'd love to be the manager who doesn't want to win it. I'd love to shake his hand. Everyone wants to win it. We're gonna have to cut there. This conversation could go on. All day. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Been a pleasure. That's all we've got to type for. Gary, Cheers. Roy, Jamie. Cheers. Appreciate it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.